Amen, Lord God. To you and through you be glory forever and ever. We praise you, God, because you alone are worthy of our praise. How we thank you and praise you. And now as we move into a time to look into your word, God, I pray that as we've opened our hearts to you in song, that now you'd pour your truth into our hearts, that our hearts would be ready to receive what you have to say to us from your word. Your word is truth, Lord God. So speak, your children are listening. We pray this in your name, amen. Amen. I invite the children through grade four to head out. Teacher Sally's all ready for you, and uh, she'll be ready to take you and teach you something special. Just before we start the message, I'd like to reach out and speak to each one of you who's watching online. We're so glad that you're able to join us in this way. I don't know where you are. Some of you may be in Florida or Colorado or the Czech Republic or somewhere else. I know a lot of you communicate with me and let me know that you're watching. And we know that as many as one-third of you are not yet able to be a part of the services here at Calvary. And for various reasons, some of you are, are feeling very compromised and understandably so. We want you to know that we miss you, that we love you, and uh, we're looking forward to that day when you'll be able to join us in the room, but we're certainly glad that you're able to join us online. And so as we begin to look at the message this week, I just want to say thank you for joining us, and we're glad you're here. And for each one of you in the room, we're glad you're here as well. And um, I'm thankful to be able to open God's Word to you. We're going to be looking at this idea of what does it mean to live by faith. We've been looking at that all year, and it's really interesting, isn't it, that that would be the theme that God would have given us for this year, going ahead of us and knowing how much we needed to, to have faith to be able to sustain us. And we've just finished looking at the book of First Peter, and uh, the book of First Peter helped us look at what does it mean to live by faith in times of distress, and taking a look at how do we, how do we take hold of the truths that are there for us, and uh, how do we how do we hold on in our faith to, to what God has provided for us and the promise that he has for us, and even taking a look at the freedoms we have because of being in Christ and having that imperishable inheritance that's waiting for us. As I've been thinking and praying about where to move next, uh, one of the things I wanted to look at was worship plus two, worship, grow, and serve. We live in a, in a pretty dark world, don't we? You know, it, it's really interesting. It seems, like, it seems like every day you hear something new and you're like, is there really anything that could be added to this? Is there any more confusion that could come in? Is there anything that could, could make it seem a little less certain? And the interesting thing is, is we have so many experts now who are able to speak with great authority on what truth is and, and so many experts that contradict each other and, um, and so you stand in the middle. I don't know about you. I'm not a scientist. So, you know, I, I look at all these things, and I, I don't know how to put them all together. And, and, and what I've realized is that since this whole COVID thing has hit and the response to it, it it's just become a little relentless, hasn't it, in, in the way that it presents itself. And if you're not careful it can distract you from God. And so I thought what I'd like to do is just get us back to the basics. Let's just 
let's just take a moment, seven weeks is a moment in case you're wondering in, in a pastor's life. Let's just take a moment and, and get back to the basics, worship. Let's start with worship. And what is worship? And what can worship do in the midst of wherever you are in your life? And I don't know where you are in your response to this thing or anything else, but, but as we take a look, I realize that if we're not careful, things can distract us from worship. But Tozer has said in his book on worship, worship of the loving God is man's whole reason for existence. That is why we are born, and it's why we are born again from above. It's why we were created, and it's why we've been recreated. It's why there was a genesis at the beginning, and why there is a regenesis called regeneration. That is also why there's a church. The Christian church exists to worship God first of all. Everything else must come second, third, fourth, or fifth. So it's this idea that we've been created and designed by God to worship. So you may wonder, and, and if you've been coming for a while, you know that I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship at the end of every message. And so as we look at Romans 12, 1 through 8, what we're going to see is Paul lays out this idea that there's worship, growth, and service that's involved. Just three basic steps, worship, growth, and service. Worship, work, and witness. And so let's take a look at, at worship. This week and next week we'll be looking at that to see what God might have to say about this in each one of our lives. Tozer also says, I've got to tell you that if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. There's no such thing known in heaven as Sunday worship unless it is accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. Isn't that a great quote? There's no such thing as Sunday worship if you haven't been worshiping during the week. Now, I know in my own life, there's been lots of seasons, and I haven't always been a pastor. Lots of you know that. And there was a season of my life where anything that happened during the week had very little to do with what was happening on Sunday. Sunday morning was the morning that I tried to find where I had left the Bible on Sunday going home. And usually it was in the back seat of the car because it never made it out of the car, right? And so there was very little worship in my life that was happening Monday through Saturday. But there was an appearance on Sunday. And Tozer says, listen, if you're appearing on Sunday for worship, you're not worshiping. You're doing something, but it's not worship. What might it be? Well, I think we can take a look at this, this first verse of Romans 12 and get an idea to that. Donald Whitney, in his book on spiritual disciplines, says the word worship comes from the Saxon word worship, which later became worthship. So to worship God is to ascribe proper worth to God, to magnify his worthiness of praise, or better, to approach and address God as if he is worthy. So I think sometimes when we hear the word worship, we can think a lot of different things. A lot of times when we, when we say worship, we think of singing. 
And that's, that's good because singing is a huge part of worship. Music is a huge part of worship. Much of your Bible, especially the Psalms, were songs that were sung and it was music. And so music is a part of worship. But to really understand what that word worship means is to get back to the roots of when it was brought into the English language and it's worthship. It's ascribing worth to God. It's ascribing worth to something, and what you ascribe worth to is what you worship. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Jesus says it this way, the hour is coming, he's talking to the woman from Samaria at the well. And he says, the hour is coming and is now here. I love that. Jesus says, as he's talking to her, the time is coming, but it's already here. There's the already aspect of what we're still waiting for. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such worshipers. He is seeking such people to worship him. Because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God is seeking people who will worship him purely, pure worshipers. What does that mean exactly, to be a a pure worshiper, to be one who God is seeking? Godly worship, could I suggest, is, is it's a follower of Jesus engaged in a moment-by-moment desire and decision to focus on and respond in thanksgiving to the only true God, finding the delight that comes from being constantly and consciously aware of his presence as he delights in them. Isn't that a nice long sentence? It's being... An, I encourage you to grab the diving in, either a hard copy on your way out or, or download it on the web page, and, and look at this idea a little bit more throughout the week. This moment-by-moment desire. See, worship is not a one-time, one-and-done thing. It's this moment-by-moment desire. And, and it's focusing and responding on, on the presence of God. And it, and it comes from a heart of, of gratitude that begins to start this search and this longing to be in the presence of God constantly and consistently. And to find the joy that comes from being there. See, there is a delight that is found in being in the presence of God. Because as you're in the presence of God, you find that he delights in you being there. And so it's this delight that goes back and forth. What we're going to look at today is that the mercies of God make it possible for us to purely worship him. Mercies of God are what make that possible. And to to look at that, we're going to look at three types of worship to try to get an idea of where we come from to where we need to be if we're going to purely worship God. So we're going to look at three types of worship. We're going to look at pagan worship, partial worship, and pure worship. And first we're looking at pagan worship. Pagan worship comes from the heart of a person who does not know God. They worship the created rather than the creator. Idols are worshipped apart from God. So pagan worship is basically speaking about people who are pagan, people who have no idea who God is. 
They, they don't know him and they don't know about him. And so they, they are worshiping things that are created rather than the creator because they don't know who he is. This type of worship is self-service. It's serving oneself. And Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 1 and gives us a glimpse of what pagan worship is. And uh, in verse 21, for although they, and he's talking about people, he's, he's saying that, that every person has an opportunity to know who God is. God has revealed himself in creation. God has revealed himself for who he is. You can see his majesty in creation. We were coming to church this morning, and um, Karen had this picture on her phone of some sort of a hoopy fly or hooli fly or something. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was this teeny little t- fly with like yellow dots and wings on it, and clearly wings, of course. And, um, and, and it was talking about the purpose that this fly has, besides being annoying. Okay, it, it has a purpose, and it does pollination and all this stuff. And it's this tiny little fly. Right, And so as you look at these things, you can see in creation that there's a creator. And so people know that there's a creator. At some point in their lives, God has made himself known to them. And it says here, Paul says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So we see that that pagan worship begins with dishonoring God and ingratitude. They do not honor God. They dishonor God. They do not give him thanks. There's ingratitude. See, for those of us who know God, we know that when we take a breath, that breath came from God. And so we're filled with thanks. We know that our heart beat because God determined our heart should beat. We know that we're able to take a step because God allows all those things to happen. All the things that we see, we realize, come from God and we have a heart of gratitude. But for pagans, there's not a gratitude. And so what happens is they become futile in their thinking. And then they spiral down. Their foolish hearts are darkened. And then they become fools. And they exchange the glory of God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we take a look at this chapter, and I know... The first chapter of Romans, a lot of times, is this controversial chapter that can get really, uh, people can get really anxious about this chapter. But what's so powerful to see here is this is a description of what happens when a person doesn't know God. They begin to worship themselves. They begin to worship that which has been created. They worship self And what that does is it spirals them down because there's a futility in the thinking and it causes a foolishness to come on people. The text goes on to say, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
dishonorable passions. God gave them up. In other words, he gave them over. They desired things other than God. They desired things other than God that were hurtful to them. And God allowed them to pursue the things that were hurtful for them. As they spiral down into their foolish thinking, he gives them up to that which they declare they want to have passions for, dishonorable passions. So you've been designed, if you know my car, you know I've got a bumper sticker on the back that says, got passion, all right? We've been designed to have a passion for God. But as we turn from God, there are dishonorable passions, Their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind into what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all matter of unrighteousness. And though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So pagan worship, and understand that this is the majority of the worship that we see in our world today. Pagan worship is done by people who don't know God. And people who don't know God worship everything but God. And so that pagan worship is happening all around us. And there are pagan worship services happening all around us as well. We see that in pride parades and and other things that happen in our culture and in our society. These are worship services of pagan worship. And so as we look at that and we consider that, we need to see that, that, that what God is wanting to make clear in the midst of this is this is living outside of God's design for you. And it's bringing harm into your life. And so he gives them over so they can experience harm, so that they can be drawn to him. But pagan worship is worship that, that worships darkness and evil. And, it, and it's worshiping the created rather than the creator. The next form of worship that I'd like to talk about is partial worship. The mercies of God make it possible for us to purely worship him. Apart from the mercies of God is pagan worship, but also apart from the mercies of God is this partial worship. Partial worship comes from the heart of a person who attempts to add God to other things. They worship other things, adding in the creator. So idols are worshiped while mentioning God. And this is lip service. Where pagan worship is self-service, this type of worship is lip service. And so we see in Scripture, in Psalm 106, at Horeb, they, the Israelites, made a calf and worshipped an idol cast from metal. They exchanged their glory for the image of a bull which eats grass. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. Now, Psalm 106 is talking about a particular moment of time in, in the Israelites' history. You may remember that the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt, and they cried to be let free, and God, through Moses, said to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can go and worship me. And so, through a series of plagues and other things, the Israelites were let go, and they they came to the mountain to worship God. And as Moses went up the mountain to get the 
the commandments from God for how he was to be worshipped, since this nation didn't know that yet, while he was up there, they determined that they would worship a calf. And so they came to Aaron and said, make us a calf, and so it will represent the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Okay, and it was God who brought them out of Egypt, but they said, let's make a calf to represent the gods who brought us out of Egypt. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 32, verse 5 When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. Okay, so now, what you're hearing is, is a recounting, Psalm 106 is a recounting of the, the nation of Israel as they, as they leave Egypt coming and they've been set free by God and they're recognizing other gods to be the ones who set them free. But most interestingly, they say, we're going to have a service to the Lord while they're worshiping all these other gods. okay. And that's partial worship. That's this idea that somehow I can have all this pagan worship in my life and I can just mention Jesus or mention the Bible and somehow that's, that's worship that God finds pleasing. Okay, but it's, it's not. Because God did not find anything pleasing about them dancing around a golden calf. And if you read Psalm 106 and I encourage you to do that this week, you'll see that, that he talks to them and, and he, he lets them know how this even impacts their sons and daughters because they bring this partial worship into their lives. Now, this partial worship, it, it comes into our lives as we allow ourselves to move into a compromised area. If we allow ourselves as followers of Jesus to move into a compromised area, we can step into this partial worship. But as well, what we see is pagans who, who want to feel as though they're appeasing God will still continue their pagan worship, but they'll mention God in the midst of it and believe that they're worshiping God. Neither one of these are the type of worship that God is seeking. And neither one of these are the persons that God is seeking to worship him. So what does this, what does this idea of partial worship look like? Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commands of men. And, and Jesus is quoting from Isaiah there, and it's this passage that this worship is in vain. This worship is in vain. Listen, if I'm, if I'm singing praises to God, but my heart isn't near him, then my worship is futile. It's worthless. It's meaningless. It, it means nothing. It's empty. It's void. I've thought a lot about that this week. I've thought as, as I've, you know, what's, what robs your joy? What is it that robs your joy? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What robs those things from your life? And I think if we really start to think about it, 
we can see that the things that rob those things, the joy from our life, are idols. They're things that we ascribe worth to that distract us from God. See, idols are the things in our lives that distract us from God. And God has come into our lives to distract us from the idols. And if we're not careful, we can get distracted from God by those things that, that pull for our attention. Now, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, says an idol isn't anything. But in chapter 10, he says you need to be careful because behind every idol is a demon. And so if I allow idols to come into my life, what I'm doing is I'm worshiping the demons behind those idols. I'm ascribing worth to the demons as opposed to God. Now those idols can come into our lives in all different ways, and they can be good things that come into our lives that are actually idols, that actually we ascribe worth to that we shouldn't. How can you know what it is that you're giving worth to? How can you know if you have idols in your life? Could I, could I suggest one of the things I do is I, I stop to think about what do I daydream about? So when the pastor gets boring, what do I think about? Okay, when all of a sudden he started saying some things that are like snooze fest, what are the things that I start thinking about? You know, am I mowing my lawn? Am I thinking about the, the, the thing I'm going to build? Am I thinking about the party I'm going to go to? Am I thinking about how many lights are on the ceiling? Am I, you know... What are the things that you think about when you go into your day and into your life, when you have those rare moments where your mind takes a break, what fills that void? What is it that fills that void? And could I suggest to you that that's the thing that has great value in your life? Possibly. may not be the same for you as it is for me. But what that does is it, it, it can draw us into this partial worship. Now, it doesn't mean that things aren't supposed to be considered important. Okay, I find my relationship with Karen to be very important. I find my role here to be very important. But my role here, I'm not looking to tether people to me. I'm looking to tether people to Jesus. Okay, and so, so how does that look and how does it play out in your life? Because God will not share his glory he says in Deuteronomy, see now that I, even I, am he, and there's no God beside me. There's no God beside God. There's no opportunity to be worshiping this and God. If you're in that table of compromise, what you'll find is that your worship isn't pure. And, and as a matter of fact, the gods will take over if you're not careful. One of the passages in Scripture I find kind of amusing in a way, is in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And in 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines have captured the ark. And they, they are all glad because they've got the power of the Israelite God in the ark, and they bring it into the temple of Dagon, and they set it up there, and they're like, oh yeah, we're so cool. And they come back the next day, and the statue of Dagon's down on the ground, right? And it's like, what happened? Oh man, so they stand him back up, and come back the next day. He's down on the ground, his arms are broken off, that, you know, right? Because God will not, you won't have any other gods next to him. 
And in your life, if you're stepping into a place where your worship isn't pure, if you're stepping into a place where your worship is partial, he's not going to share that. And so he's going to be drawing in your heart to draw you into a place of pure worship. All right? And it's the mercy of God that makes it possible for us to purely worship him. Apart from the mercies of God, we'll fall into this pagan worship or partial worship. But pure worship comes from the heart of a person who's been reborn. See, pure worship can't come from someone who hasn't been reborn. If you've never experienced the rebirth of Christ in your life, if you've never experienced rebirth, regeneration, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can't purely worship God. But it comes from the heart of one who's been reborn, who knows God, is gratefully sacrificing, slow down, okay, gratefully sacrificing of themselves for the Lord, seeks to worship God, fully understanding the need for thanksgiving. Idols are rejected and denied in exchange for the true worship of God. This is sacrificial service. This is the type of service that God is looking for, that this is the type of service, worship, that God is seeking And we'll be unpacking this a lot more next week. But I want to give you just a couple of things to think about as you look at going into this week, seeing how can I come to a place where maybe I've slipped into partial worship and maybe that's taken me to a place of despair or or frustration or those kinds of things. But how can I get back to worshiping God purely? Because you've been designed to worship God purely. So what we see Paul says I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship. So it's by the mercies of God. And when we see that word mercies, what automatically should come to us is gratefulness and thanksgiving. Because one of the most important things to do is to come to heart to Jesus with a heart of thanksgiving. One who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Now this sacrifice of thanksgiving, in the Old Testament, there was a a sacrifice of thanksgiving that was offered, a peace offering, a fellowship offering. One of those was a thank offering. And a thank offering was different from any other offering in that it wasn't required, it was voluntary. It was a voluntary offering that was brought just out of gratitude to God for who he was and what he had done for his mercy. And so as Paul talks about offering ourselves as a sacrifice because of the mercies of God, it's this desire for thanksgiving to pour from our heart and from our lives. So if we've come to a place where we've trusted Christ as our Savior and he's shown the way of salvation to us, then we're able to thank him because of his mercy. And thanksgiving is the entry into worship. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. See, the very entry into pure worship is thanksgiving. Colossians has that beautiful little phrase at the end of everything it says. It says, and be thankful. And I often think that's what you should do when you read the fortune cookie paper, right? You should go, you know, you will have a lucky life and be thankful. You know, but, and we need to be putting that into everything we do. Whatever happens in our lives, be thankful. Because we understand and know that God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He's almighty. He's majestic. He's over everything that happens. And he is over 
all that is happening in our world, and anything that comes into your life has passed through the filter of God's hand, and you can be, gra- you can be grateful for it. You can thank him for it. And so we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And through him then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. See, these lips are lips that are controlled by the heart, It's not that the lips say something and the heart is far from them. Rather, this is the heart of someone who acknowledges the name of God. And and what that means is to the name of God is his nature, his character, everything he is, everything he says, everything he stands for, everything about God is, is you declare that to be true. You acknowledge that he is all that there is. And those are, that's the fruit of your lips. Last week, Tim talked about not letting the book of the law depart from your mouth, that everything that comes from your mouth comes through the, the word of God, and that's the fruit of those lips. The psalmist in Psalm 71 says, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My lips shout for joy because God has redeemed me. So there's thanksgiving that is the gateway that begins to open service. But next comes sacrifice. And sacrifice is a word that, oof, I... Oh, man, it's hard, isn't it, to sacrifice yourself for someone else? I'm, I'm always ready to give from my excess. But to give from my real stuff, that's a little harder, isn't it? And the psalmist David, in his confessional psalm, says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, the sacrifice that God is looking for is a broken heart, a contrite heart. Contrite means crushed. It's the idea of taking a huge stone and pounding it and making it into gravel. It's a crushed heart. And it doesn't mean a broken spirit. It means a hard heart that's been softened by the touch of God. It's this this heart that's been humbled See, a a contrite heart is a heart that's humble before the Lord. It's not standing in autonomy. It's standing in submission to God and to the authorities that he's placed over us. It's being willing to be a servant to God. Isaiah says, this is what what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, right? And you'd imagine that God would live in a high and holy place, but he also lives somewhere else. He lives with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is so powerful. See, God, you would expect that he'd be worshiped in his dwelling place, that he lives in a high and holy place in heaven wherever you wherever you see that to be. And we'll look at that next week. What does worship for God in heaven look like? But to realize that not only does that worship happen in that place that he, that he dwells in above, but he dwells in the heart of the one whose heart has been broken before him. See, as you come to the Lord and your heart is broken before him and you step into humility, your heart becomes a humble heart and the spirit revives your heart and becomes a spirit-alive heart and it becomes a humble and spirit-filled place where God dwells and where his light shines. 
In, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. See, the heart of a contrite person is a holy heart. See, holiness, you see, is not so much what God wants from you as it is what God wants for you. God wants holiness for you. He wants pureness for you so you can worship him from a pure place. I wonder where your worship is right now with the Lord. I think of myself, and I think of these past six months, and, and how so many of the things that I see and hear and the impact that I have, that they have on my life, can, can distract me from God. And I realize that a lot of these things have distracted me from worship. They've shown me, though, things in my life that were idols to me things that I really had put value in, and as they got taken away from me, I realized that they had, they, had been, they had been taking a place in my heart that wasn't right. And as I've wrestled with this this week, and I hope it's coming clear for you, and I hope as, as you think about this this week, that it will help you as well to stop and think, what type of worship identifies your, your life and your heart? Is it pagan worship? Is it partial worship? Is it pure worship? How can you be offering your body as a living sacrifice? What idols do you need to remove from your life? And how can Thanksgiving open the door for true worship for you? As you've been, for me, there were some things I was resenting. If I resent things instead of giving thanks for them, those are the things that begin to pull me away from the Lord. So I urge you to stop and think. A couple of weeks ago, we had our global partnership conference, and Luke led the worship, and he, he led us in a song that we've sung before many times. But two weeks ago, as I was singing it, it just impacted my heart in such a powerful way, because the first phrase is, do you feel the world is broken? It's a response song. Do you feel the world is broken? Yeah, I, I, I do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? I do. Do you know that all the dark is not going to stop the light from shining through? Oh yeah, I do. I do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? You better believe it. Team is coming up. Is all creation groaning? Oh yeah. Is a new creation coming? Mm-hmm. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Oh, yeah. See, worship is that light of God in your life. It's that light in your life that puts the joy in your soul. As you respond to a God who's present with you and you are present with him, Do you feel the world is broken? Bring his light to shine through. God, it's true that you alone are worthy. You alone are the one who can open that seal. 
You're the God of justice. And you will make everything right. We long for that day, God. The earth seems to be so dark. So many are trapped in worshiping pagan things, demons, eyes taken away from you. God, forgive us for the times that's happened in our lives. Draw us back into pure worship of you, please, God. Let your light so shine in your church that the world is drawn to the light. We hold the hope, Lord, you've entrusted it to us. May it burn from our souls so that all may know that he is worthy indeed. In your name we pray, amen. I invite you to remember that tonight at 6 o'clock down at the beach we have a baptism service. We've got over a dozen people and it's not too late. If you haven't signed up, if you've never been baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ, today is today. And you can stop and see Suki at the Welcome Center and she'll help you with that. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Oh, I release you to a week of worship, work, and witness. God bless.